Hello and welcome to the third episode of Women in Customer Success podcast. The first women-only podcast where remarkable ladies of customer success share their stories and practical tools to help you succeed and make an impact. I'm Maria Skobe-Pile, your host. Today, I'm happy to introduce you to Georgia Harrison, Director of Customer Success EMEA at Braze. She started her Braze journey as a Customer Success Manager, was promoted almost every year and progressed to her current leadership role of EMEA organization. This episode is completely packed with Georgia's practical strategies on career progression, leading teams and developing crucial skills. Also, if you wanted to know how to land a job on the spot, Georgia shares how she has done it. My favorite learnings of today. What's gonna make you stand out as a leader is your ability to understand what success looks like in different size companies with different maturities and having your own conceptual playbooks for them all. So let's tune in. Georgia, thank you for coming to the show. I'm so excited about this conversation. Yeah, and you. I mean, I was, uh, I was surprised when you reached out to me, but I'm, I'm um, very honored to be here and to talk to you today. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself to our listeners? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, as you mentioned, my name is Georgia. I'm currently Director of Customer Success Braze. So uh, for those that don't maybe know, uh, Braze is a marketing automation platform. So really helps uh, brands orchestrate the customer engagement experience that they're hoping to deliver to their customers kind of at huge scale. Been doing that or working at Braze for about four years now. I love it. Um, I also have two cats, which is a nice fun fact about me. Um, I was born with two front teeth. So if people want to feel like they know me a bit better, there's a, there's a fun thing wow. to know. <laughs> that is one very cool fun fact. So where did you start your customer success career? So I guess I had a bit of a wiggly path into customer success. So I, um, I initially studied law at university, quickly realized that I didn't want to be a lawyer with the greatest respect to all my lawyer friends, kind of wasn't for me. I graduated and went and worked at a marketing agency. So I was in a client-facing role there and, and that was a great experience for me where I kind of learned that I was really interested in marketing and marketing strategy, and I really liked being client-facing, and I really enjoyed understanding business problems. But for me, it was a wee bit too creative, and it didn't necessarily have some of the like empirical evidence-based stuff that I found interesting. But I was at a marketing conference where I saw a guy called um, Dan Wagner speak on stage about a technical solution that he had that would help enable marketers to get data from purchases. So kind of the loose concept being you'd scan a billboard and make a purchase and then you'd get like location data. And, and that really spoke to me in terms of, well, you've got this creative concept and then you've got this technical solution that, that would really help um, marketers to understand it better. And that really like sat with me for a long time. And then I kind of on a whim made up his email address. He was the CEO of the company at the time, made up his email address and sent him an email saying that I was really taken with the solution and I would love to come in. And then to my surprise, I got an email back the same night telling me to come into the Heron Tower the next day. So 
Went in the next day, totally intimidating office, sort of 35th floor of the Heron Tower. What I didn't realize at the time was this was a 100 million Series A tech startup, which had been heralded in the newspapers as being sort of the future of tech in the UK. And I didn't really know what I was walking into at, at that point in time, but the CEO interviewed me and he offered me a job on the spot. So wow. I kind of, yeah, I, I didn't really realize what I was doing at the time, but, but that, was my, that was my step into the world of tech. What was the job role? So I, I joined them in the account management team, which is at, was actually a success function, but I think they didn't really know that that's what it was at the time. So mm-hmm. by that, I mean, it was client facing. We worked with the product and engineering team to onboard clients and then help them to uh, learn the solution and, and to use it to get value back out of the, the platform. So it was kind of account management, but I guess it was, it was success by another name, effectively, which I thoroughly enjoyed, although was also an absolute madness in that it was a hu- huge starting in life for that company, but unfortunately ended up having to wind down. So sort of towards the end of that company, and I guess, I guess it's a bit of a risk depending on how you pick your, your tech company, which we'll get onto later, but they ended up closing. So it kind of at that, at that point, I had my first introduction to Braze, interviewed with Braze and sort of moved across about three weeks before, before that company, which was called Power, actually closed down. And then that was in a, in a success role, but I also didn't really know what success was at that point. I guess I just knew that it sounded a bit similar to what I'd done at, at Power. So I guess I sort of stumbled my way <laughs> into customer success, but I'm very happy that I did. Thank you for sharing your journey. Okay, there's lots of things to unpack here. You had an interview with a CEO and you landed a job on the spot. Well, that's just awesome. Okay, so let's just let let that sink in. How did that happen? I mean, it's possibly a one in a lifetime interview. What did you do? Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and it's interesting. I mean, it was one of those things where everything that could have gone wrong did. I mean, like the location that I looked up on my phone was the wrong location. So by the time I got to the office, I was drenched in sweat and panicked and the lift system was really complicated in the Heron Tower for anyone who's been there in central London. It, it, I mean, that threw me and then the office itself was really intimidating. So I guess all my normal advice of, you know, be well prepared, be early, all that kind of stuff actually in this instance totally went out the window. I guess what I put it down to is I was totally confident in my passion for that technology and what it was doing. And I think Something that's really that I look for when I interview success managers is, is that real resonance of the platform. There are so many different tech companies out there that, that do different things. The, the one of the things that really makes applicants stand out, and I think actually at the time this is what I was demonstrating, even if I didn't know it, is that I was totally obsessed with it and what it could be and where it could go and the, and the kind of real life impact it was going to make to other people's jobs. And I think when you can display that kind of passion for for something that you know the CEO has also started this company right like they have a similar type of passion for their their technology and what they're doing I think it was that there was one thing that if I could go back in time and, and do it again I would probably do it differently so when he asked me what kind of salary I would want I told him that I would take the graduate salary that I had started my job at the time you know two years before that I said I would take that salary because I was starting in tech and I'd never done it before and I was prepared to to kind of go back to, to basics. And I remember him sort of looking at me for a second and then saying, no, I'll give you the same salary that you're on now kind of thing. And that, that, was, that was a line for me that actually in, in hindsight, I think I was, I was so passionate about it that I let that kind of translate into desperation in my head. And I didn't really question what my value was because I was so passionate 
about that company. So it's it's that fine line of I think it it definitely propelled me into getting the job. But if I could do it again, I, I probably would have maybe tempered it ten percent. <laughs> oh, cool! We'll come to that one again later on for sure. Let's continue with your customer success journey. The role at Braze, your current company, was the role of a CSM. So how was it at the beginning? Totally overwhelming. I think is the first thing I, you know, I'd spent two years almost working for a tech company. I didn't understand, I don't think, how technical a success manager role could be if you wanted to really thrive. And I wasn't used to terms like APIs or SDKs. And I think the the type of company that you join is really important. So the, you know, Braze at the time, I was thinking employee number five in the UK. And there was a, a central office in, in New York and actually having to learn at a foundational level, what are these technical concepts? And then actually, how do they apply to my platform is kind of a once in a lifetime upskilling concept that you might have to go through as a success manager. And I was incredibly lucky that I was supported by like an office of, of really wonderful and extremely bright people. And we were kind of just mucking in and doing it together. But that initial experience, the first six months was certainly hard. And I think there's no two ways about that for, for someone who is going into a success career, having not done it before, you might anticipate that you have a lot to learn. And then it's about just understanding that you are interested in technical concepts and you want to learn them and you, and you have a vested interest in that and kind of, and finding that strength in yourself, I think is really important, but being able to articulate it early as well. I remember um, just saying to my, my boss at the time, I want to learn more tech tech things and and kind of him what I didn't understand the advice he was giving me at the time is you know try and distill that do you want to learn you know technology in the sense of mobile applications and SDKs do you want to learn technology from the perspective of you know server interactions and, and what that looks like so finding someone who can help you understand what you don't know and articulate that back to the company is really useful but it was certainly kind of late nights and, and being quite scrappy. But again, I think I still look back at that point of, of my career at Braze with the most fondness almost because it, it shaped me into who I am now. So what, what kind of platform is Braze? What does it do? So I guess to put it into the terms of a client of ours, you know, maybe you're a food delivery company, right? Their marketing team will be logging into Braze as a platform and creating customer journeys where the customer is. So that might be you know, an initial uh, email welcoming them to the platform, um, which moves into a screen in the app that talks them through how to use the app and then maybe follows up with a, a push notification or a web experience if you haven't then made a purchase. That's a very unique and different experience to someone else that they might be sending communications to. So someone who's been using the platform for multiple years and they want to kind of bring them back if they're lapsing and that kind of stuff. So we're very much business critical as a platform. And, and there's quite a lot of complexity behind how that platform operates. We have lots of cool features like intelligent time sending so that you would get an email at a different time for me, for example. And the knack as a success manager is you have to understand that to explain it to a client. And then you have to understand how it works from a technical perspective, right? Because you might want to troubleshoot it at some point or something like that. So it was kind of really shaping up that part of your brain that, that is going to understand that technical element. Sure, you want to have a solid technical understanding so you can support your customers. And who is implementing the solution? Is your team involved? What I've seen at my time at Braze is that customer success organizations tend to go through different stages depending on how big they are in a company. So for us, actually, we've never had to implement the tech. It's our clients who are implementing it. When I joined customer success, we were 
onboarding as well as doing strategic. We were also doing troubleshooting, to be honest. You know, it's been four years and now we have a dedicated implementation and onboarding team who help clients that first, you know, zero to three months. We have more technical support in region who help with anything that's break fix. So I've kind of gone through this evolution of, you know, wearing all the hats to start with. And, and now I wear, or the success team wear, wear fewer hats. But I think that, you know, for, from our side, no, we don't implement it. And I guess for other customer success managers or, or people who are thinking about it, the size of the customer success organization and the, the maturity of that organization will depend on what your roles and responsibilities will, will be. Georgia, let's talk about your career and promotions. What I like about your career path is um, it's almost a by-the-book climbing of customer success career ladder within one organization. Started as a customer success manager, and then you were progressing almost every year. Just tell us more, please. Yeah, sure. So I guess I have to, I guess, give due diligence to the fact that the size of the team when I started, so I think I was customer success number two in region, was a big factor to those opportunities. So, and again, I wasn't even really aware of that at the time, but some some kind of useful advice I'd probably pass on to other success managers is like the size that you join at is really the runway for your opportunity. So, you know, I was number two in region, you know, the team is now 14. So when you think about how quickly that's happened in EMEA, the way you can progress is facilitated or is, is easily facilitated. Whereas if you join a success team that's slightly more established and has more people in it, those opportunities might be less frequent. So I guess I have to pay homage to the fact that, you know, Braze is a great company and it's grown and I joined at a certain size and I have a very supportive manager. And then I guess from, from my perspective, I really learned the product inside out and that's something that I did at Power and that's something that I've done at Braze and, and it has held me in really good stead. And I would say, even if you're joining a later success, later stage success organization, being the product expert, i.e. be the person who when someone says the feature, you know how it works, even if you don't need to wear those hats and do it, has meant that I have had the confidence to keep on going in my career because I kind of know that I have this foundational knowledge of, of how things work. And you sort of never know when a CTO is going to blindside you with a question that you might have to answer. So I think that would always be, from, that was my approach. And I would always give that advice. And when we have new success managers, even though they're, they're strategic now, we put them through really rigorous training as if they were going to have to do the support. So know the product. The next thing I guess is, is and, and that probably is what got me from CSM to senior CSM is sort of knowing the product and, and being an expert in that. Over that time, I think I also built a pretty good black book of clients. So appreciating that your clients are, are probably clients for, you know, potentially 10 years if they're using your platform for that long and really trying to transition them from being people that you work with to people that you you know, apply your empathy to and, and you can have very you know, personal conversations with around, you know, can you give me some advice on how we're doing this bit? How else can I shape this? You know, they're advocates for your, for your platform and in the same way that your product team might go to them and, and ask them questions about a feature, you can also potentially start to use them as, as giving you feedback for how success can interact with them differently. Like what else would they see that, that's valuable? And then that's a really good kind of source of ideas for you to then think about how you might want to improve your own organization and then kind of when you're starting to think on those terms of improving your organization it's kind of a good signal that you're ready to to have a more prominent role in your organization so i think hopefully those are some good repeatable steps for people like be a product expert first and foremost and then sort of work on your client list so that they're in a place where you can start to ask them for feedback on what you are doing as an organization and start playing that back into your organization 
Those are really great tips. Thanks, Georgia. Currently, as a director of customer success, how big is the team you manage? So in the team that I look after, there's nine people, including a team lead. So who then, you know, he's fantastic and he manages three people directly. So sort of where I am at my career is I guess I'm learning how to manage managers. And then I also have a couple of direct reports. We also think of our clients in terms of like size of that business. So I also, within that team of nine, have a function that does higher touch customer success. And then I have a function that does low touch, high volume customer success. So I guess where I am now, I'm, I'm wrapping my head around managing managers and direct line reports, and then also thinking about two totally different ways of doing customer success, which has been really exciting. You mentioned some late nights learning for technical expertise. And now you're also working on your leadership development. Take us through your learning journey. From a technical perspective, really, I think it's tenacity. It's, it's tenacity and its relationships. So understanding who in your organization is the person who actually holds that knowledge. And that's likely a couple of layers down. So it might be, it's likely the engineer rather than necessarily the support team. And understanding how you can position yourself to, to get some time with them really. Always take your own foundational learnings to those people and then be clear on where you got stuck. So I found people are much more willing to help you if you can say, I read this Google page and I looked here on Stack Overflow and then I tried to reproduce it myself. But like between those things, I have a question mark. Can you help me? People are much more willing to help you in that instance than just saying, can you explain to me how this foundational principle works? That, that would be my first advice for that. I mean, that being said, I distinctly remember painful conversations where my CTO was trying to explain to me how, you know, if you put quotation marks around null, it's a string. And how, if you don't do that, it does something different and just being totally flummoxed. So be patient, be kind to yourself. You're not going to learn these things overnight. And then from a leadership perspective, I guess I'm still learning would be my perspective. Braze puts all its managers through a learning course. So all of the management team, no matter what level, has done the same training with someone who I would like highly recommend and would be happy to kind of pass on those details. But I found great comfort from that training in that it really put a lot of my fears to rest when I was an early manager around the fact that some people are natural managers and some people are not. Management is, is learnt. You learn how to be a good manager through consistency. And there's a bunch of frameworks around feedback and delegation. And you know, if you're able to learn tech and product from scratch, you can certainly learn management from scratch. And then I think leadership is a different concept. I think leadership perhaps comes with time. And again, I am still definitely learning that. And it is, I think it's a I'm sort of starting to very slowly see the fruits of that. So people doing things differently because of feedback you gave them, having a sense of where you're going. But I think everyone has moments like of, of feeling a bit uncertain about management and leadership. And it's about fostering those conversations between people, I guess. Oh, here comes a tricky one. What would your team members say about you as a leader? Yeah, it's a good question. I, I would hope that they would say honest. I think that's the biggest thing that I'm trying to stand for. And it's a really good reminder for me that I need to need to articulate my thought processes constantly, right? Is, you know, I'm asking people to do something, but why? What's led me there? Where's the space for them to contribute? I think honesty is the thing that I'm kind of trying to do above else. I did actually ask someone on my team member, he said empathetic, which was, which was really nice. He had spent the whole day taking the piss out of me for my LinkedIn picture. So uh, it swings around about. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, I guess I, I try and stand by honesty. I hope that's what the team would say. Empathetic was also a really nice thing to, to have come back. Georgia, I'd like to hear your views on mentorship. It has become so prominent today. 
And increasingly, we are hearing about a crucial role of mentorship in career progression. What was your experience? So I, I got very lost in the concept of looking for a mentor. I thought I was sort of looking for one person and I felt a bit embarrassed to have to go and ask someone that felt quite formal, you know, will you be my mentor? I wasn't really sure what I meant. I wasn't really sure what I needed. And even actually when I've tried to be a mentor, I've you know, signed up to organizations which have taken a couple of weeks. And then in the end, the person I was due to mentor, you know, hasn't reached out and you kind of think, what a disconnect kind of on both sides. And a, a friend of mine actually shared a tip, which is now what we use on our team, which is this concept of building a boardroom. So I'll share a link to sort of a version of it, but effectively that boardroom has got 12 different roles. And those roles really range from you know, being a nerve giver or an improver or experts, an unlocker of time and resources. And the idea is that you start to write people down either internally at your company or externally, um, you know, from your personal life or, or people that you meet in the industry that you think play that role for you. And it was a really helpful exercise for me in distinguishing the fact that you can have sort of micro mentors who help you in very specific areas because you really like understand that they have a skill there and you can move much quicker and it, it, you don't need to ask them. You kind of just know in your own head, like next time I have this problem, I'm going to go straight to that person because I really enjoyed the way they challenged me on it. It can be a really useful place to start. And then I think that organically really grows into, into finding that person that you think, wow, we have a real way of understanding each other and, and I would love to have more formal interactions with them. So I think that's just kind of a, a tip I would like to give to people if, you're, if you were also feeling lost in the whole, I must get a mentor type concept. Thanks for sharing. This really seems to be a very good concept. Are you a mentor? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. I, so we have a, a mentor program that got started by a group of like wonderful women in our company. And what they do is link women across departments every quarter and you have a different person. That's not an official mentor mentee. It's more that you're mentoring each other mm-hmm. type scenario. And then kind of unofficially, I'm trying to help people where I can, but kind of comes back to that side of sometimes there's as much embarrassment offering yourself to be a mentor to someone as there is asking someone to be a mentor to you. It kind of feels a bit, a bit like you don't want to assume that that person would get value in that interaction. So I guess, I guess from that side, I could do more to like actively reach out to people and, and offer it. I mean, if anyone listens and would like to talk to me about anything, I would you know, love to, to help have those conversations. But yeah, kind of informally, I guess. Being a woman in tech or a woman in customer success, how is it for you? Do you notice when you're the only woman in the room? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I, I thought about it long and hard. I think I've not had many experiences or any experiences actually that I felt have been negative off the back of gender. To that last question, how I ever experienced being the only woman in the room? Yes. You know, oftentimes that's not just a function of our own company. It's also, you know, clients might tend to have gender imbalances across the different teams you're working with, especially technical teams. Again, though, I don't think I've ever found that to be negatively impactful for me personally. I'm not, I'm not saying that other people wouldn't. On reflection, I think I have, I have in the past done something that was quite unhelpful for female success managers, which, which is interesting, which um, given kind of my early experience with Raise, I found it, you know, I had to really dig deep to get through it. That, that was an experience that I then have often shared with new starters. And I think that that sometimes has perpetuated perhaps that struggle in a way that's been quite gendered and I kind of didn't mean to do it intentionally but kind of stopped telling the story of 
of how hard I found it because people have different experiences now. We're a different company. And where I thought that that experience was empathetic and it was going to help people to to know that it was okay to find it hard because I found it hard. I'm sort of deliberately going to stop telling that story because I don't want I don't want other women to feel like they have to find it hard to for it to be a valuable experience. So I think on reflection, that was something that, that I found in myself. I wonder what is the best part of your job that you're really enjoying the most? Yeah, so I think the whole thing has been being a Swiss Army, a Swiss Army knife and that, that is what customer success does for you. You know, we talked about the many hats. I'm sure you, you, I'm sure you have that experience or have had that experience. The fact that you're in a role where you need to be technical, strategic, you need to be client facing, you might need to switch between joking with someone, a client, a regular client on a weekly call to presenting to a CMO, to working with an engineering team. I mean, how many, I can't think of many other roles or professions that gives you that broad range of exposure. And I love it. I, I love the fact that one minute, and, and that keeps going, right? Because now we're doing that, but then also you're managing people and how to do all of that. And then you're thinking about how does this department compare to other success departments? Because the other thing is our industry is so, so fast paced, right? Like there's nothing about customer success that is a well-trodden path. We're all trying to do the best that we can, that you could be innovating and challenging yourself every day and it could look different to your last. Oh, that is really a wonderful way of describing what customer success role really is. And the Swiss Army knife, oh, I love it. I haven't heard that one before. Uh, moving on through your career journey, I need to come back to your story of an interview with the CEO from the beginning where you were ready to take the lower pay. And luckily, really luckily, he said no. So promotions and negotiations, that's a really that's a really interesting topic. There is plenty of research that show how women don't negotiate salary as much as men, and they're also more likely to start their career on lower salary. Uh, how do you ask for promotion and how do you negotiate? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess I've, I've actually got to hold my hands up here and be totally honest. I, I have never asked for a promotion and I have never negotiated. And within this whole process, I actually, I know I, I got your questions. I wrote some answers out and then I asked you know, a, a trusted friend and mentor at work to read through my answers. And, and she's a lawyer. She's, uh, oh. and she, you know, she circled my answer to this question and just basically came back and said, what on earth? Because my perspective on it had always been that if you have a good relationship with your manager and, and you and your manager well understand each other, then often you don't have to ask because, you know, these things happen. And her perspective was, you know, she as a manager tells her team to ask for a promotion every single time they are eligible because in her experience or in, to her opinion, asking for a promotion, negotiating, that is a skill. And if you're not, you're not practicing that skill every single time that you have an opportunity to practice it, then it's not going to get refined and you're not going to get any better at it. So she sets an expectation with her line reports that, you know, every time you are eligible, I want you to come to me and I want you to ask for a promotion. And you might not always get it. And that's okay. But I want you to ask and I want you to articulate why you think you should get one. And, uh, and actually, the, the, I was talking about the fact that this whole process has been really beneficial kind of for me to even think about these things. I was pretty taken aback by that and thought that that, that was a really important approach and, and one that I'm going to take forward with my line reports and, and one that I would really encourage everyone else to think about. Oh, this is wonderful. It's so refreshing. I'm really interested in the research of workplace gender diversity. 
And it is so usual to hear about research that say that, you know, women are not talking about their accomplishments or they are not asking for promotions due to fear of backlash. And we are hearing now about your friend who is really paving the way to get everyone into that mindset of practicing negotiation skills. I really like that. I think she's doing a wonderful job. Well, and thank you for sharing that. Now, Georgia, COVID-19 and customer success, what are your thoughts? Definitely. So we, we have up till now always thought that travel was really important and face-to-face interactions with our client are really important. This will challenge that. I think that's fairly true of a lot of customer success organizations. It's, it's sometimes even baked into contracts, like, you know, on-site trainings, on-site EBRs, you know, and we can't do that anymore. And it's a nice level playing field to say, do these things need to be face-to-face? Could we reduce travel, our carbon footprint, the toll that that takes on people's personal lives? I think that will be a, a really nice reassessment of those things. Perspective, you know, it's really easy for people to get really lost in how, how pressures at work may affect them and and this is a really nice way for us to reassess you know I have team members who are parents and we're making it work even though you know they're having to look after their children during the day and so clients are having to be a bit more tolerant of flexi working and you know the client who thought that they needed a response in 30 minutes actually it's okay now for that to be a little bit longer and I hope some of those human and empathetic considerations persist it's really easy for for us to be kind of slightly faceless tech support sometimes. And I, I really hope that it helps that interaction to be much more human going forward. So I think, I think those are two things that I really hope come out of customer success. There's also an element to which this, this might hurt customer success. You know, people are going to lose clients and it's not going to be because we didn't do an amazing job. So it's a time for customer success leaders to be empathetic towards that, to reconsider, you know, what the business needs to do versus how they're going to do things like look at PPC, so uh, compensation for success managers. You know, it's, it's, it's a good time for us to reassess a number of things. And I hope there's, there's positive that comes out of it. Oh, great. I, I could talk to you about all of these topics the whole day. Wondering what, what would be your message for aspiring leaders in customer success? Like, go get it. I, I think <laughs> uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a young enough industry that things that might impact other industries, like exact experience, tenure, climbing ladders, doesn't apply here. So have the confidence in yourself to self-educate and to put yourself forward for a leadership position. There's wonderful forums that have popped up all over the place. I know there's one CSM, LDM, the guys there are amazing who organize that. Go talk to other people, shape your own perspective. What's going to make you stand out as a leader is your ability to understand what success looks like in different sized companies with different maturities and to have your own conceptual playbooks of like, okay, if I was brought into this company, what playbook for success would I pull out and do? start to challenge yourself to have those perspectives and then and then you'll be ready to walk into any company and say, you know, I've got four different customer success models. I think you need model A. Here is the tooling that I would use for you. So go and educate yourself around Gainsight, Gong, there's Catalyst, there's so many different tools that go and do different things. Get your own perspective on those tools. What's good, what's bad, how does that fit? And then you'll be ready to, to go and, and grab it anywhere. There's going to be more opportunities for leaders than there are people to fill it. So, so just make sure you're kind of educating yourself. Don't wait for that to happen passively. Do you have any personal motto? Um, no. And I tried to think of them and they, they all sounded rubbish. Um, <laughs> I say to my team a lot, a great customer success manager is, is a chess player. I kind of stand by that still, even though my, my manager would laugh at me for it probably. Um, 
but you know it, the, the skill is is in understanding what pieces you've got on the board like is it your you know is it your sole con or solutions architect what are the different roles that you've got and how are you mapping that to a customer to to keep them happy and to keep them renewed so that's one that I stand by in terms of advice I give to new starters. And I would encourage people to think about it. Like, you know, you're the one pulling the strings of the puppet and just make sure you feel that way rather than feeling like you're a pawn in someone else's game. I would encourage you to put yourself at the middle of that circle. That's extremely useful tip. Thank you for that. And at the end, I think I would ask you what, what is the latest book you read that you would recommend to someone? Yeah, Making of a Manager was a really good book I read. I think it gets like a lot of press out there. I recommend it even to non-managers because it helps with concepts like mentoring and and just to that kind of empathetic piece of, of no one wakes up one day and thinks I'm suddenly a leader. Everyone's had the same doubts, even really successful people. So recommend it as a read. It's, it's a very lovely read as well. It's kind of not like a heavy management book. I think it, that's, a, that's a nice one to do. The Client Success book as well, the blue one, I don't know mm-hmm. if you know it. Yeah, that, that one I found really inspiring, actually, as a very early stage success manager, because you might not be exposed to all the different types of customer success styles if you kind of this is your first job. But I kind of was talking about building those playbooks. It's a really good way to introduce you to, to what those playbooks might look like. So those two are probably as generic as it can get. But I know that they're, they're, they're there for a reason. So I'd recommend reading them if people haven't. <laughs> this has been great. Thank you for being here, for sharing your story and for sharing lots of tips for a successful career in customer success. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'd like to hear your feedback and whom I should bring to the show. Get in touch on LinkedIn, Instagram, and our website, womeninCSpodcast.com. Subscribe now so you don't miss out of the following episodes. Share it with your friends and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Have a great day and talk to you soon.